Engaging Leader, Episode 190, Four Steps of Emotional Transparency that Cultivates Accountability, featuring Jonathan Raymond. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Hey, Engagers, stay tuned for information at the end of this interview with Jonathan about how you can get a free copy of his book, Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Many leaders feel frustrated by what seems like a low level of personal ownership among people in their organization. Things don't get done on time, problems don't get solved, and issues get ignored rather than proactively addressed before they become problems. This episode is part three of a four-part series of interviews with Jonathan Raymond about how to practice emotional transparency to cultivate accountability with your team. Don't miss all four parts. That's episodes 188 through 191. Last time, we discussed the do's and don'ts of emotional transparency within the context of the workplace. This time, we'll talk about the four steps of emotional transparency that cultivates accountability. And next time, we'll wrap up with three hacks or shortcuts for emotional transparency. Jonathan Raymond, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Hey, Jesse. Jonathan, we were talking about what emotional transparency is and what it isn't and how it helps cultivate accountability. What are some examples of emotional transparency specific to the workplace context? Yeah, so, so we'll, we'll roll with a few and we may come up with some others and we can, uh, we can play with it a little bit. So, you know, an example of emotional transparency might be like, I'm frustrated that we keep, you know, fill in the blank, or I'm really impressed with how you did that. I wouldn't have known how to handle that situation, right? So that's a, on the positive side, a form of emotional transparency is some vulnerability in that, right? Or uh, I'm concerned that our customers are asking for this thing and we seem to keep doing this other thing. Right. I don't necessarily have the answer. I don't necessarily I don't I'm not I'm just giving voice to something that I'm sensing or feeling or thinking or intuiting. It's another kind of example. Uh, Another one on the positive side. Hey, I'm honored that you asked me to sit in on this meeting. I wasn't feeling totally ready, but your vote of confidence means a lot. Right. So, again, there's an element of vulnerability to that, of opening up with a colleague and and saying not just going in and being like, I totally deserve it. I should have been in there. Right. That would not be the emotionally transparent step. But to actually acknowledge, hey, this was a, I get that you took a little bit of a risk inviting me or maybe you, or I felt like you did and I really appreciate it. Uh, here's another one, you know, I feel like I've been giving you feedback about this, but you don't seem to be taking it seriously. That's another form of emotional transparency. What we often do in the absence of doing that is like we repeat feedback or we, you know, we have the same conversation 27 times instead of saying, hey, I feel like we've been having this conversation and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. In some form or another. So there are some examples of emotional transparency in the workplace. Now that last example you gave, let me play a devil's advocate a bit here, is all the, the, the first four examples you gave, you actually had an emotion, frustration, um, concern, I'm honored. That one, I, my perception is what you just said, I feel like I've given you feedback. Like there is a, an emotion underneath that, but you're <clears> using the I feel like it's like a fake emotion. So you're not actually telling me what, what the feeling is. Yeah, you could, you could phrase that differently. You could say, you know, I'm frustrated about that. 
Um, I think a lot of it is in the way that you tone the conversation and in the context of the relationship. So for some people, you're spot on like that. That might be that that might come across the wrong way. It might not communicate what you're trying to. Um, but for other people, you know, that if, depending on the relationship, uh, that might that communication might work. But fair point. I think it's probably a better way to say it, uh, to say, you know, I, you know, here's what I'm seeing happening. And it's a little frustrating for me or, you know, I'm not sure why. Right. Because I'm yeah. not sure why. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the way that I'm saying it. Maybe it's the information that I'm communicating. Maybe there's some other data point that I don't know. Um, so fair point there. Yeah, and the way you just said that uh, there, I guess, came across a little bit more humble and curious. Um, it seems like I've been giving you feedback. And maybe the other person would say, you know, I, I know you've been doing a lot of talking, but I actually didn't hear any feedback. And Because <laughs> sometimes we, you know, we weren't very clear with our expectations. We just did a lot of talking and we just confused the heck out of them. So, okay. So that's that's helpful to see some of these examples. And, you know, you mentioned in part one about how all of us have feelings and there's this misperception that, oh, I'm just going to go at this in an unemotional way that a lot of us do. And maybe we're compartmentalizing our feelings so we can sort of focus on them or, or we're denying our feelings. But those, if we deny them too long or compartmentalize too long, they, they tend to leak out. I mean, if you've got if you've got, uh, let's say, frustration, that is, if, if you don't ever express that, at some point it's going to leak out in probably some unhelpful ways. Yeah, we, you know, one of the things we, we talk about is uh, what we call spontaneous management combustion, uh, which is, you know, that is exactly that cycle. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a manager. You can be a, you know, frontline staff or senior leader, it doesn't matter. But it's when we don't honor the, the reality that we are emotional beings and we are frustrated and we don't find a way to articulate it it builds, that pressure builds. And there's this, this wonderful quote that most people are familiar with the first part, but not the second part, uh, that Carl Jung is a, you know, obviously, you know, sort of a grandfather of modern psychology uh, who said, you know, what we resist persists. Um, so if we don't deal with it, it stays around. But the other, the second part of it is not only does it persist, but it grows, mm. right? It festers, it spreads, right? It's like a virus. And so, you know, we, we, we know this, right? We, we've all, we've all done it where we blow up and we realized, wow, it's I, I actually missed a whole bunch of conversations. And you know, in early episodes, we talked about the accountability dial, which is another, which is basically a tool for how to step through a, a feedback conversation in an emotionally transparent way. How do you say something soon so you don't let it build, so you don't let it, so you're not resisting what you're seeing or feeling, and you're and you're you're operating from a place of trust and assuming positive intent, and that if you if somebody did something that you didn't like or frustrated you or caused you concern, that they, they had reasons for why they did it that way. They may be reasons that need to be worked through, but, but they, they almost never were doing it from a place of bad intentions. There was a miscommunication. There wasn't a clear expectation. They were pulled in some other direction. There's a million possibilities of why. Uh, but that not letting it build is really the key step there. Oh, that's well said. So don't resist emotions let's let's express them but do it in a, in a helpful way and i think even to the point of if you're not sure go to someone else and say hey here's what i'm you know i'm really frustrated by this thing this person's doing does that does that read it read out for you does that seem like if you were me am i can you give me a reality check about that and they might be like totally yeah i would be out of my mind or they might be like ah, i kind of think you're overreacting right or or i don't know doesn't you know doesn't that seem like that's kind of your thing like if you, you need to have honest outsiders in your life who are going to help you put a check on some of those things. But it's not just because we have a moment where we feel something that goes to what we're talking about in the last episode. 
doesn't mean we have to go and say it, but we do have to do something with it, right? We, we, we can't, the only, the only mistake we can make is doing nothing with it. Yeah, so at least write about it in your journal, reflect on it, meditate, pray, complain to your spouse about it. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, somehow you need to process that or um, yeah. yeah, do something with it. Metabolize it, I've heard one person describe. <laughs> right, and if you can think about it as it's, it's, you're doing self-care, right? So if you're frustrated, and you know, there's some incredible groundbreaking research that Harvard had put out. I don't, you know, I don't have all the data at my fingertips, but around, you know, the uh, longevity and our ability to deal with emotions and, and uh, people who are in healthy relationships where they feel a sense of belonging, live longer, like much longer. Uh, so this is a health issue and it's, a, and it's, a, it's an epidemic in, in many ways. So how do you do it? What's, uh, what's the checklist for practicing emotional transparency? So the first step is a, is a step of self-reflection. It's an internal step, which is to identify what you're feeling, right? So it might be, and again, you might have different words for this. You might say, like, frustrate, I'm, I'm frustrated by this. You might not think of that as a feeling. You might think of that as a, as a thought. That's fine. I don't care what you call it. It might be a thought, a feeling, a, a sense, an intuition. You know, I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling unfocused. I'm feeling really grateful. What is the thing that you're feeling before you do anything with it? The first step of what you're, it is actually a doing, you're doing something, which is that you're acknowledging to yourself that that feeling exists. That's the most important step. If you don't, because after that, we're going to go into a decision tree, you know, do I do something with it? Who do I, if do, do I need to talk to somebody? Which person do I need to talk to? What situation? When? There's a whole bunch of decisions that you're going to then make uh, as you go through this process. But if you don't first know and acknowledge what it is that you're feeling or thinking or sensing, you don't have choice. You're not at choice with what to do about it. So that's the first step is getting clear about it. And again, it could be, it can take you one second. It doesn't have to be an hour journaling with yourself on a Saturday morning. It could be walking from the coffee machine back to your desk. What am I thinking about this situation? Oh, I, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually concerned about it and I, and I haven't given voice to that. Okay, great. It's just that first step of acknowledging it. So that's the first step on the checklist. Now, for a lot of us who are not well-practiced with um, emotional stuff and identifying our feelings, we don't even know what the possible feelings are. Right. And I wonder if you have, uh, like just for example, so I have, and I'm one of those people that has a long history of that, so I, I have found it helpful to just have a list of potential feelings in front of me, or um, if some, if our listeners Google feelings wheel, uh, it'll put a list in a in a wheel. So, otherwise, I tend to say the same things over. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm angry, uh, or I'm hungry. Like those are the only <laughs> feelings. Or hangry, right? Yeah. Do you have any other suggestions for that person that is not practiced at identifying what they're feeling? Yeah, one of the tools that we share with clients, not, not in all of our engagements, but something called the mood elevator, probably a lot of overlap mm -hmm. with the feeling wheel. And so it's got, you know, it has like 30 or 40 different words to see, you know, 20 of them are kind of above the line, sort of positive states, feeling grateful, feeling appreciative, feeling curious. Um, and then there's a whole bunch that are below the line, you know, feeling self-protective, feeling judgmental. Um, and so whatever, there, there's a bunch of tools out there. So you can Google mood elevator uh, or the feelings wheel, something like that to give yourself um, some more vocabulary, vocabulary about it. And I would say just even as a shorthand, as a first step, if that feels like a lot, even just say like, I don't know, something's off, mm. right? Like something's off. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's a way to say like, you know, it's on or off, like, oh, something's <laughs> on, something's off. 
keeping it really simple. And then you could parse, okay, well, something's off. What is it? Is it, you know, let me go a notch deeper. Yeah, I guess another helpful thing about using one of those tools is realizing that sometimes we can have more than one emotion, more than one feeling, sometimes conflicting feelings. So, yeah. if, um, And it's helpful for the other person to hear that because otherwise things tend to come across as black and white. Uh, right. Like, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. But, uh, for example, if my wife sometimes, if we're in the thick of an argument or something, and she'll say, you know, I'm feeling hopeless. Mm. But I'm also feeling hopeful because I, I can see we have a history of working through this. Like, well, that's, I, all right, I understand you're feeling hopeless, but it, it's nice to know that you're not completely hopeless, that there, you do see right. the hope. In, anyway, some of those paradoxical feelings, uh, just expressing that is, is, um, feels safer, helps the other person feel safer, I guess. Well, it's really important. I want to just kind of double click on what you just said. It's so important that, and it's the thing that we miss is that ultimately, and it's, and especially in the workplace, the mistake that we make is we think we have to solve the problem, but what we actually have to solve is the relationship. So what I mean by that is when your wife says, well, I'm feeling hope, I'm feeling hopeless in this moment, you could get bogged down in that, or you could go, oh, but there's, there, it's hopeful in that we know how to work through this. So there's a context, there's a relationship context, and that's often what we forget, like we, that we, we put all of our attention trying to solve the content thing instead of being like, oh, we know how to work through this, right? So we've got something going. And if you ask employees, you say, do you want your manager to be perfect? They would say, no, I don't want them to be perfect. <laughs> I want them to be human. I want them to admit when they're wrong. I want them to be honest with me. I want them to be transparent with me which doesn't mean I want them to have all the answers and be able to solve every one of my problems. That's not what they want. And that's the same thing. Your wife doesn't want that from you and you don't want that from your wife. What you want is a context of trust and safety to be able to work through whatever it is, right? And to have those conversations. Well said. So you identify, you do some self-reflecting and identify what you're feeling. What's, what's the next step? So the next thing is to, using observable facts if you have them, right, to say something about what you're thinking. Now there's an internal sort of sub part there is like, is it in that self-reflection is, well, do I need to do anything with this emotion or not, right? So, that, so you might think like, oh, I'm feeling a little concerned about this, but you know, I'm gonna give it a day. I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's a conversation I need to have today. So there's a so part of that first step is an assessment of like, is there a next step, right? Yes. Let's assume that there is. The next thing is to say something, to find, some words to articulate what it is that you that you're feeling in a way that doesn't have emotional charge right so it's so the difference between saying like i'm really concerned about what's going on right now versus i, I don't know I'm, I'm concerned about what's going on right now same words but finding a way to articulate what i'm feeling or sensing or thinking without emotional charge that's the next step especially if you're in a position of power yeah and it's just sometimes having a, uh, taking a little bit of time for that is helpful. It, it can seem slow and time-consuming to reflect on it or to spend the half an hour writing in a journal to process, you know, get things organized or wait till the next day. But we've all seen cases where someone is still in an emotionally charged state. They pick up the phone, they immediately call and t two or three colleagues and raise a whole big ruckus. And sometimes if they had just processed it a bit, by the next day they would have said, yeah, it really actually wasn't a big deal. Right. Well, and also, I mean, talk about time consuming, that process that you just <laughs> described where now there's three people, probably senior people involved in a conversation and we've got to have another meeting and now someone's upset and now they're frustrated and they went to HR and now it's like six months. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, I always say to leaders and managers, you're really smart people, but you're really bad at math. 
right? <laughs> like, give yourself 30 seconds to reflect and be like, what do I need to do with this? And say, you know, take a thoughtful approach to it. You'll save yourself so much time in, in minimizing the politics and the gossip and the drama uh, of, you know, scratching the itch of, you know, sending off, a, you know, a, a, an edgy email, you know, working with a client right now. And they, you know, they really, they have a CEO who does this really nice guy. But, you know, when he gets frustrated every once in a while, he just, you know, will hit reply all on an email and the whole company, you know, changes the whole culture. Everybody's walking on eggshells, undermines trust. And, it, you know, if we can help, you know, we just started with, with him, you know, if we can help him just say like, hey, just don't do that. If you just didn't do that one thing, uh, that's culture change in the organization. Yeah. So say what you're thinking about the situation. Yeah. And then the next step is, right. And so, uh, you know, I'm worried we're going to be late, right? You can use it in your personal life too. Hey, I'm worried we're going to be late. Um, you know, I was really wanting to have a couple of minutes before we got there to kind of get ready or whatever. Whatever the thing is, finding some way to articulate. And that leads to the next step, which is listen to the response. And this goes with one of our first principles, which is like, don't assume you're right. Just because you have an emotion or you think something or you feel something or you have an intuition doesn't mean you're right. It just means it's what's true for you in that moment. So the next step is to listen to the response, to stretch outside of your comfort zone and to accept that just like you're, you're giving validity to your emotion and you're saying, hey, there's something valid about what I'm thinking or feeling, give that other person that same respect. Listen to their response. What, do you, what comes back? Right. It's possible that they may come back with, wow, thank you for sharing that. I totally see your point of view. I really get your perspective um, and I'm going to change my behavior for the rest of my life based on that. But that's probably not what you're going to get. You're going to get somewhere. You're going to get a response. Listen to that response. Accept the, that there's validity to the even if you don't like the way they say it. Right. Hey, there's something about uh, and that goes to that generosity. Right. Like there's something about where they're coming from that is also true. I've got my truth, they've got their truth, or I've got my reality, they've got their reality. And healthy relationships are when we can get in the same reality, not necessarily to be the same person or to think the same things, but to share that reality. Sometimes it seems like when you're giving feedback, the other person might get upset or emotionally triggered. Mm -hmm. Is there a point where you may want to give them a timeout to just calm themselves down and get out of their defensiveness mode? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a, it's a really, I mean, it's part of the feedback methodology that we teach is to be able to, like, you know, if you give somebody feedback about something and you notice that they get defensive, right? It might not be the moment to say, hey, you're getting really defensive, right? So what we teach, and this is in the context of people management, people leadership, is we would say, hey, let's call that out in another meeting. Right. Let's call that out as a growth theme and say, hey, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, I've, you know, I've tried to give you some feedback about some things and over the last couple of days or weeks. And there's something that happens when I do that, which which I would describe as you getting a little bit defensive or kind of pushing back. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you do you do you, know, do you do you see that happen in, in and this is the most important part. Do you see that happen in our conversations? Right. Not do you see yourself doing that, but do you notice that dynamic? And again, that's in that same reality. Do you notice that that happens? Right. Because if we can't agree that that happens, we're not there yet. Like we can't have a conversation about the content until we have a conversation about the process. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier. You, the issue, maybe it's whether it's in a marriage or in a working relationship, it's, it's usually not the topic that happened that day. It's the interaction 
it's right. relationship dynamics going on between you. So let's let's get clear on what's going on between us. Yes. Hmm. Okay. All right. So you listen to them. You have kind of a practice some curiosity and find out what's going on in their response. And, and then what? Yeah. And you might, you know, you might mirror back to them. You might say like, hey, something in your response, may, you know, I didn't realize that you were feeling that way about it. I didn't, you know, I hadn't, I didn't anticipate that. And that's an act of your practicing emotional transparency. You're, you're being willing to be moved by the other person. And I think that's, you know, one of the things, one of the things that's often, you know, people don't think about the, the, the word vulnerability, but vulnerability is like, it's the ability to be hurt, right? It's the ability to change, right? If you're, if you, something happens, if you don't, if you're not willing or able to be hurt or affected by the other person, you're by definition, not vulnerable, right? It means there was no willingness to be hurt or be impacted or be changed by the interaction. Right. So it's really important to, to be clear about what those words mean uh, by vulnerability. Like, you know, I see a lot of leaders do like, hey, I want to be really vulnerable with you all right now. And then they say something totally invulnerable and <laughs> no room for any kind of conflict or anything like that. But they think that because they use the word vulnerable, that means mm. they were vulnerable. Right. Nothing. Mm. To, it's like totally not. Right. It's <laughs> it by 10 miles. Um, so let's go to that next step of the four. And then again, this is a decision tree. It doesn't necessarily happen every time, but let's say some of the time you might need to ask for what you need from this person. So you've, you've figured out, hey, I'm feeling a little concerned about something. You've put words to it. You've waited for their response. Oh, okay, I, thanks for sharing your, you know, your perspective on it. Hey, here's what, here's what I need the next time this happens, right? And, or here's what I think I need, or here's what I think would be helpful so we don't get into this kind of stuck place. And that's that, ne that next step. And you might not know it in the moment. You might say, hey, you know what? I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm going to think about what I need or, or you know, and you may come, can I, I want to, I'm going to come, I'm going to stop by later. I'd love for you to do the same. Like, what do you need from me? Like what, let's make it mutual so that we don't repeat this stuck pattern. Right. And so that's that last step of asking, what, what do I need from this person? And, and you're, and you've got to be, this is high art, right? And this is for leaders of all stripes, for parents and people in relationship, this is the art of intimacy, right? This is how we show up with, uh, with our heart in the world and be willing to be in relationship. It's not just about what we feel and think. It's about the other person in that, in that act of generosity. So that's that fourth step of being willing to ask for what you need from this other person. All right. Those are the steps for emotional transparency. We're going we're gonna to pause here and come back with one final part to this about just some hacks. What are the, the most important things to remember with emotional transparency? But for today, Jonathan, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. My pleasure. Thanks, Jesse. All right, Engagers, the book is Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting for. You can get a free copy if you're one of the first 25 listeners to go to refound.com forward slash free book by June 15th, 2019. That's right, you can get a free copy of Jonathan's book, Good Authority. Go to the website. His company, again, is Refound, like rebound but with an F. So that's refound.com forward slash free book. We'll also provide a link to Jonathan's book and his social media information on our show notes for this episode. And don't miss all of our episodes that have featured Jonathan. Episode 145 talked about the accountability dial. And then episodes 188 through 191 are breaking down what emotional transparency is and how you can use it to cultivate accountability in your organization. This is a production of Workforce Communication. 
We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-sized and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs>